On today's episode, we have Daniel Parham joining us. Daniel is a friend of mine, and we get into talking about friendship um, and what that looks like cross-culturally, what that looks like in the different stages of our life, and ultimately, how the church should be doing friendship moving forward into this next decade of life that we find ourselves in. So let's dive on in. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. I am sitting here with Camille, and we are going to be talking about parenting, healthy sexuality. <laughs> um, we don't know where it's going to go. It's going to go <laughs> off the cusp. It's going to go all over the place. Um, we're going to try to focus a little bit more on specifically how to parent girls into healthy sexuality and how to just lead women into healthy sexuality. But we're obviously going to talk about both genders and talk about a lot of things. <laughs> so uh, before we get into that, Camille, could you just tell us a little bit about your story? Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? What are you doing now? Yeah. So, hey, everybody. I'm Camille. Um, I grew up in Orange County, North Orange County, a little town called La Palma, to be exact. Um, from there, I went to college at UC Santa Cruz, spent some time living in Queens, New York, and then moved back to Orange County. So that's where I'm at right now. Um, currently, I work with an organization and I direct a teen mentorship program for urban teens. So we work in urban contexts. We do one night a week of mentoring and socio-emotional learning and challenging um, our teens for their own growth and development. A lot of work on trauma and looking at trauma, assessing trauma, and moving forward um, to healing spaces. I'm also a mom. I have two kids. (laughs) (laughs) One is three. The other one is one years old. So I love my kids. I love my family. I love my husband. We are moving and we're moving forward together and trying to figure all of this out as we go yeah. <laughs> which is really hard but yeah <laughs> yeah but you're not alone i mean yeah. i'm pretty sure that's that's every parent is i mean talking with my parents it's like we just kind of learned <laughs> as we went and i'm like i can see that i can yeah. there are days when it's like i'll just wash my face and that is me keeping it together yeah so yeah that's yeah. Just There's some days I just wash at all. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's that's good. Um, so we're going to talk about healthy sexuality. Uh, we're going to talk about maybe raising children, but also teens. And just, I mean, your work, I know your kids are young, but you've been working as like a pseudo parent, we kind of said, but yeah. as a pseudo real parent of just kind of leading um, girls and guys um, into healthy sexuality. So maybe before we get into all of what the ideal is, what we could work towards, Maybe you could tell us a little bit, what were you taught about sexuality growing up? Um, what was that journey like? Yeah, so I had two very <clears throat> conflicting, not conflicting, but different perspectives. So first and foremost, my mom, um, she immigrated from the Philippines. And she has, she and I have a really great relationship. There's a lot of honesty surrounding us. Um, I always joke around that she would like look me directly in my eyes and say, once you have a baby, that's the end of your life. And that was like the best birth control for me. I learned abstinence from my mom, but not so much purity. Like that was not (laughs) something that was a conversation for us. Well, did you ever think of like, wait, are you saying when you had me, your life ended? Yeah. (laughs) I didn't take me until like my twenties that I was like, wait, hold up. All those years of you telling me, (laughs) did I end your life, mom? She says that I did not. So every, every mom. Yeah. Every mom says that I'm, I'll catch her later and be like, let's have this conversation. Um, So we have a good relationship. She did talk to me about abstinence. um, And I I was very, like, faithful in not having sex um, until college. And when I did lose my virginity, I I told her and we were honest about the conversation. Um, So, it, yeah, it's it's pretty weird looking back and being like, yeah, I talked to my mom about sex. But she, she built a really great relationship between the both of us where I felt comfortable being honest with her about where I was at sexually. Um, 
And then my dad is African-American. He grew up in Mississippi Delta. So he was Mm. born in 1944 and the civil rights movement didn't happen until mid sixties. So the things that he saw and experienced really impacted his um, ability to raise a girl when I was his only girl. So Mm. um, there, there was a lot that had to do with his trauma um, Mm. of knowing what women in the South had to face alongside of like, not only lynchings, but sexual assault, molestation, things that were, perfectly legal because of the color of skin um and just awful institutionalized racism so for my father it was i need to i need to protect you but i don't know how to protect you without shaming you Hmm. Um, because these are the only tools and the only language that i have now so um yeah my father and i we have a great relationship i should say (laughs) (laughs) but looking back on some of the more intense experience i i've had with him i now understand like okay yeah. The trauma that he had played into how he saw the world and um, certain stories he would tell me, certain pieces of advice he would give me were based off of a, a man who was once upon a time ago a boy in the South mm-hmm. um, in the Jim Crow era. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Which makes total sense. I mean, yeah. I, like most parents from their own experiences, what they've experienced as good or bad or safe or unsafe. They then take that as like, okay, how do I get my kids to like not have to experience this? Oh, and yeah. normally shame is the best behavior change. <laughs> like it doesn't work long term, uh, but it works it's for the first. It's an immediate behavior change. Yeah, yeah, it works for the first maybe year, 15 years of your life. Um, you get into trouble a little bit later because shame doesn't hold you. Um, <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's that's very common. I mean, but yeah. if, obviously very different. Um, the truth of the matter is we parent out of ourselves and out of our yeah. experience. And, you know, my, my father didn't go to high school so he didn't have access to the same like materials he didn't have things to read or learn about Mm -hmm. um so he was really limited and he had like he he really did have his southern country wisdom yeah and it was flawed it was very flawed but now i look at him with eyes of grace and say hey he did the best that he could and yeah that's how and working with teens and talking to teens and learning about where they're coming from and communicating with their families, I'm. we have to look at their parents and say, okay, this mm-hmm. is where your parents are coming from, especially yeah. if they're not from like a, a place of redemption. And I'm using air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> a place of um, having a greater understanding or having um, grace in parenting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I know so many people my age, which is like mid-20s, and thinking like, well, when I have kids, I'm not going to do what my parents did. And I'm like, well, okay, first off, your That's parents, a trap. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. I'm like, your parents just parented out of themselves. Yeah. And if you don't think that you're not just going to parent out yourselves, it's like, well, yeah, I haven't figured this stuff out or I haven't worked on myself or I haven't gone to counseling or I haven't done this or I haven't done that, but I'm going to parent differently. I'm like, your your kids are just going to be parented out of you. Yeah. Like, it's not like you can just magically be like, I'm going to parent healthy sexuality, even though my thoughts about sexuality and shame is still very prevalent. Or I haven't done the work exactly. on myself. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I'm a mom of young kids, so I'm around other moms of young kids. And some of the conversations I, like, check out of, I'm, like, a shell. I'll stand there and I just stop Mm -hmm. listening. Because the things that people are saying are, like, like, I get it and I get your fears and your worries. But I can also tell that you're really selfish in what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't know. In my opinion, it's – actually, I do know. In my opinion, there are so many parents when it comes to parenting out of themselves where it comes from a place of pride. Where your mm-hmm, kids become this mm-hmm, commodity, mm-hmm. Um, and or they you're vicariously living through them. Right? Oh gosh, that's the worst. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, like 
nowadays we have all of these titles and nicknames for parents. So we have right the lawnmower mom, the tiger dad, (laughs) the helicopter mom, all of these things. But really what it's saying is I am a parent that only focuses on control. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. I want to control my child's life or I want to control the things around them so that they have what I perceive to be the best experience. But I, the more I learn about God, the more I realize like God never controlled my life. I Mm -hmm. went off the deep end multiple times (laughs) and Mm -hmm. he wasn't like, girl, stop. Mm -hmm. Right. He, he drew me back, but he never controlled my ability to choose. Mm -hmm. So in parenting, we can't do that either. Yeah. Well, Calvinists are going to be pretty mad at you for saying that right now. Whatever. (laughs) Come at me. No, that's that's so good. I, my dad, I just had a conversation with him the other week. Me and my parents have been kind of working through, okay, how do we relate as adults? Yeah. Um, now that I'm an adult, you're an adult. How do we get out of like bad systems where I'm the kid, you're the parent, but into like a healthy adult kind of relationship? And he like admitted, he's like, yeah, I'm going to be honest. Like I know like deep down I vicariously lived through your basketball career because I was so bad at You sports. had a dad who did that too, so did I. Yeah, hey. yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, he wasn't aggressive with it. Like mm-hmm. a lot of dads were, it, it was very subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would never, I would never have said that. And I still don't necessarily say it's been a pressure I felt from him, mm-hmm. but the pressure was still there somewhat, um, at least in what I was in, like in what I was forced to do, yeah. um, through coaches, not through him. He didn't force <laughs> me, the coaches forced me, but he condoned the coaches. Yeah. But regardless, it's, I think that comes out in some sexuality stuff where I know a lot of parents, um, my parents didn't do this, thank God, but a lot of parents who like had sex before they were married or were sleeping with their spouse before they got married. Um, And so now when they have kids, they almost vicariously are trying to live through them. It's like, well, since I didn't live a good sexual, pure, quote unquote, life, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure you don't mess up. Yeah. Um, Which is which is good in some ways, but it also leads to utter shame. Yeah. (laughs) Utter like vicariously. (laughs) Like so many parents, I'm like, wait, shouldn't you who was sleeping with your wife before you got married while you're just dating? Shouldn't you have so much understanding and compassion and grace mm-hmm. for your kid who's sleeping with his girlfriend because <laughs> it's the same situation? Like, shouldn't you understand what's going through his mind? Yeah, but at but the same that's, time, that's I mean, that's their redemption strategy. Exactly, right? they don't have it. Not, they can't get it back. They can't get it back, and they assuming don't want their children to go down the same path that they of do. Of course, and this is this is like a best case, most optimistic <laughs> view of some parents, and yeah. other parents are. It, they view their kid as their second chance to life. And that's yep. the unhealthiest mm-hmm. form of connection um, mm-hmm. or form of attachment. So, yeah. you know, you see it all the time when you see parents get mad um, or I see parents get mad. And the hard part, the hard conversation is, look, you survived and you're here and you have a relationship with your kid. Why are you ruining it now? Because of your own insecurity. Mm-hmm. And that is something it's not an easy conversation to have, but. It's a necessary conversation yeah. to have. Well, and the kid can't have it. The kid doesn't yeah. know that the parent's putting this pressure on them because of their own unfulfilled or trying to change. They need another parent <laughs> to like, yeah. help them. It wasn't them until I was like 30 that I was like, oh, that's why my parents did that, right? <laughs> so like, I have to give, like the, the teens I work with, I'm like, you got 17 years to figure yeah. to figure out what I just figured out. Yeah. yeah. So it's, Hopefully you do it in about 16. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hopefully 16 and a half. Yeah. That's a good, good timeline. Okay. Maybe a question for you is, we talked a little bit about what maybe your parents taught you or what the conversation was like or just the dialogue and open conversation. But what were maybe some of the main like internalized narratives or mm. themes you kind of had about sex growing up? Um, so maybe it wasn't even explicitly taught to you, but what did you just believe as you entered your 20s, let's say? 
what were you realizing you believed about sex or sexuality um, or all these things? What were the themes and narrative you kind of picked up and internalized? It's mm. a great question. So some of the things that I believed, let's focus on my high school years, was I am not having sex and I used it as this point of pride because I was I was bullied and I was really working through so many negative thoughts in high school. So I I would use my abstinence as this thing of like, at least I have this and yeah. all you other hoes don't like. <laughs> no offense to the people in my high school who are reading this, uh, listening to this. I yeah, there's have... no transcripts. So yeah, I'm no transcript. Gonna, I'm not gonna type out hoes. It's just you're gonna have to listen to it. <laughs> I'm not gonna type that out. No offense to the people in high school. You all are great now. Anyway, but like it was something that I would hold on to is this false sense of holiness. Mm-hmm. Um. And I, I, I mean, I started going to church at 17 and I really wanted, I really wanted God, but didn't know what to do. Hmm. So the fact that I was not having sex was like, okay, well, at least I'm good on this area. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when I went to college, I went to um, a party school that some some people would call it a party school. I remember having a girl pull me aside one day and she and I were having a very bad attempt at like a reconciliation conversation mm-hmm. or repair conversation between the mm-hmm. both of us. And at which point she just said, you think you're better than me because you're Christian and you're a virgin. And mm-hmm. I was like, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I guess that's how I feel now. Thanks for giving me words. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I should be like everyone yeah. else. And yeah. Um, yeah. I, I guess it's time for me to, to join the real world. Like quote unquote, mm-hmm. um, so I was it maybe even like time to become an adult? Um, like, was there an immaturity aspect to it, or was it just a, a real world kind of wanting to feel like a part of? I want to feel like culture? A, a part of something. I also my roommate in college, um, one of my roommates in college, she volunteered at the condom co-op and like really wanted mm-hmm. to. What is the condom co-op? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, I went to Christian didn't realize University. I'm at Biola. <laughs> yeah. We went to Christian University. We didn't have a condom co-op. We had a Holy Spirit co-op. Um, but what is that? No. <laughs> Heaven forbid. I'm sorry to everyone listening right now. But <laughs> but it's it, I went to a party school that was very open about making sure that people were protected and safe um, mm-hmm. sexually. So the condom co-op would give condoms and um, uh, do a lot of public health work surrounding sexuality hmm. and sex. Yeah. Um, also HIV testing. It That's was good. Yeah. I mean, I I went to what is by far the opposite of Viola, and I always joke around with my friends about that. But the way that sex was understood um, and not supported, but the person was supported through it really mm. did shape my understanding yeah. of not just ministry and working with other people, but also parenting. Because it wasn't like a, well, you're not a virgin. Let's all mm-hmm. like have fun. It yeah. was mostly like, okay, well these are scary emotions that we're going through. These are ways that you need mm. to protect your body and protect yourself. Yeah. So one of my roommates in college, because she was volunteering there and ended up, um, I think she ended up leaving it. Um, she helped me understand so much about physiology and anatomy regarding yeah. sex. Um, and Christians in- are really good at physiology and anatomy. Yeah. <laughs> like, Apparently I wasn't. I they, <laughs> they know. They know nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Why the honeymoon's a, a shock. Yeah, it's an absolute shock. Oh yes, I've heard I've, a lot of I, my friends who were like raised in the church, and no offense, Viola, but we call them Viola, Betty's and Bob's. Um, Betty's who, and Bob's. yeah, who like were a part of purity culture 
when we talk about our honeymoon, it yeah. is it's probably one of the most hilarious conversations that I have. Hilarious and, and with a lot of compassion, but I'm yeah. just like, yeah. You well, know. no, one of my mentors, I'm not going to say which one because um, <laughs> I don't want to expose him or her. Yeah. Uh, but they were talking about how on their honeymoon, it was probably one of the worst weeks of their life because they had all this pressure and expectation. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't this magical pornographic or notebook <laughs> or like some type of romantic Titanic scene. Yeah. It was kind of mundane. It wasn't working. <laughs> and it was Sorry. just like he they <laughs> not he <laughs> it was he she, um, the, he, he, he he like just ended up he's like i just took a walk on the beach and i'm just like what is this like <laughs> and like did i marry the wrong person like oh, it was yeah. like fear because it's like this was supposed to work if this was the right person um luckily a great couple totally worked through it but i mean man that honeymoon was ruined just because they didn't know and like anatomy physiology yeah. they didn't have right expect- there was a plethora of things but anatomy and physiology was a big part of it it was just like they don't know how things work yeah and that, it's like i don't know what people expect to believe like if there's puzzle pieces and you find the right puzzle piece like it, that <laughs> it doesn't work that way guys i just want you know but when it for, for me having that call that college roommate who was so knowledgeable and open and willing it changed it. i mean it changed a lot of my understanding of what mm-hmm. compassion could look like, mm-hmm. um, especially regarding this topic, because it it's such a taboo topic. It's it's yeah. so hard to it's hard to talk about sexuality and then parenting on sexuality. It's like, oh, it's so uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Did your parents ever like give you a book or anything? They uh, they didn't give me a book. I don't even remember. I'm the so I have my nuclear family and then I was raised with my cousins and I'm the youngest so I think I just grew up like around conversations and around things and I I would like receive or ascertain or like process things yeah um and my mom I mean my mom would like use code words (laughs) yeah so well see so so I got a book (laughs) in my story and I think it's because my mom didn't want me to like she wanted me to know the words and like not feel left out at school. It was as I was entering middle school. Um, and I don't know if I've mentioned this on a podcast before. So if I have, I'm sorry, but this is a good story. Um, but anyway, so I get this book. Um, and it was at the time of my life where learning big words was like a cool thing to do. Like you were in seventh grade, you'd read the dictionary and be like, well, I can say eucalyptus uh- and I'm smart now. Um, it was one of those things. And so I have a sex book now. And there's a lot of images. <laughs> it's drawings, not like photos and graphics of what sex is and stuff. So I end up learning a big word called uterus. That's so I le- great. I uh. learned this word. I end up going to my winter camp for my church and it's mosaic. That's the theme. And so it's all about the body of Christ. Um, and so we break up into small groups one night and the like the leader of my group, he's like, so guys, like trying to like have a like a ice breaking question. He's like, so guys, what part of the body would you guys be? And it comes to me and I'm thinking, I'll be funny. Like, like I know a big word. Again, I somehow figured out what this word was without knowing what it actually was. And so I like raise my hand. And they're like, oh, sweet. Like finally, because it's a classic youth leaders are just waiting for one kid. Like, please, someone talk. Um, and I go, I'd be the uterus. And they just look at each other, get red in the face and start trying to hold in laughter because they realize <laughs> that I didn't get what I just said. Um, so somehow I had learned the word uterus without knowing what the uterus was and then proclaimed at summer camp or winter camp that I want to be the uterus of Christ. <laughs> I would want to be the, like, at I'm least not, the fallopian now, tube. Like, make me, like, an ovary or something. Looking back now, beautiful. Like, yeah. beautiful, like, the, the yeah. 
But as a kid, <laughs> the utter shock and horror of like, oh, man, yeah. it's all because my mom just gave me a book and they were both scared of like describing and talking about the book. They figured maybe the book would just kind of do it and I maybe <laughs> figure it out. And I'm like, you're telling a seven year, like a seventh grade boy to figure out sex like without talking to him about it. You're telling me you think that's a good idea. Um, but this is what a lot of parents do. It's like, well, if we just don't talk about it eventually, <laughs> yeah. we'll just figure it out. It'll be good. And we avoid like, whew. Yeah. Miss that one. We'll avoid the conversation. That's funny because yeah. in a, I think it was a high school or junior high camp experience ar- around the time that I was around that age, that, those years for me, <laughs> tits was like the <laughs> other word for good. So people like one, oh, one story yeah, is like yeah, a guy yeah. was praying yeah, and he yeah. was like, oh, I'm feeling the Holy Spirit. You know, it's tits. <laughs> oh, like, man. Wow. Yeah. I'd be a little concerned about that, that youth yeah. group. <laughs> That's but if probably... the body of Christ has a uterus, like I'm for it. Yeah. I'm there. Make no, me no, I'm with too. it. I'm with it. Yeah. I just <laughs> thinking of like, what's just worse? Me saying uterus or him saying the Holy Spirit. I'm feeling the Holy Spirit's <laughs> it's the tits, the tits. <laughs> I think the tits is worse. I think I get a pass. Oh, I'm totally there. I mean, I'm totally there for that. I love my anatomy, so yeah. yeah, why not? <laughs> okay. Moving from all of that, um thinking about your work with teenagers and then thinking about the future with your your kids, kind of what what are kind of some of the ways you're going to go about parenting this? What are some of the ways you have um, taught this to those teenagers? What's been effective and helpful? And what are some of the strategies or things you've talked about that have just completely missed? Yeah. So let's start with, I mean, my kids first, they're, they're really young. Um, so I'm not going to talk to them about sex now because they're, yeah, they won't they're be. really young. But um, I take, my husband and I take a very like holistic perspective at raising mm-hmm. our kids we will have conversations on sexuality but first we need to build up the blocks of being able to have certain tools in their kit so for um, both of our kids the ability to say no and feel mm. comfortable hearing a no and and giving a no is really important for us so we play games because um, kids learn through play more mm-hmm. so than through mm-hmm. lecture so um, it's the gummy bear game we like line up gummy bears and <laughs> we have our kids point out which ones they want and we'll say yes and at one where they can't have it we'll say no and um they will you know they don't eat it they move on to the next one and then we turn around and we play the game so then i'm asking the questions and i'm having my kids give me the yes or Got the no. it. like can i eat this going bear yeah and your kid will be like yes mommy yeah. <laughs> like, oh thanks <laughs> so they it, just say no to all of them <laughs> like, no 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 gummy bears um but for us when it comes to Teaching our kids a whole brain perspective is so essential. You know, yeah. I want my children to be able to be comfortable making as many decisions as possible. So mm-hmm. how do we open up uh, open up experiences for them to make decisions? How do we mm-hmm. um, develop their, their brain to be able to think more logically and critically? Um, and yeah, the, the yes-no game is pretty interesting because some people think it's it's like brainwashing and some people don't. <laughs> well, people don't realize how much I think of the brain is formed just subconsciously through play, through different things. I mean, your primary attachment system is formed by the age of three yeah. for the most part. So if that's true, like yeah. the thing of all the other things, I mean, I, I've been reading, I love reading like Twitter threads, although I've had to scale back on my Twitter usage because either I just get so mad or it's just mindlessly wasting yes. time. Um, but one of them was talking about um, with like a parent talking about how they're parenting their daughters. Um, they talked about how when like an uncle or a friend or someone gives them a gift, they don't then say the typical moniker like, oh, well, go give them a hug to thank them. Mm-hmm. Um, almost trying to teach subconsciously that if someone gives you a gift, you don't have to 
give physical appreciation back. You can use your words. You can, you know, give them a high five. Yeah. I don't know. Um, which I, I, I don't know psychologically what that means and if that actually is a good thing or if it's just a neutral thing, but it's, it's like the gummy bear thing. You're, you're teaching them subconsciously and consciously like how they can see the world, how you respond to people. Mm-hmm. Does your no actually hold worth? Does yeah. your yes actually hold worth? Um, does uh-huh. your touch actually hold worth? <laughs> is your touch required? Is it not required? But also emotionally capacity and yeah. right? When someone hears no, <laughs> yeah. your your brain is firing and wiring through all these ways and you your emotions are really your filter of your thought patterns. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for us it's it's not just saying no, but it's being able to have agency at a young age um, mm. and working with your emotions instead of through or against yeah. your emotions to understand like, okay, this is okay and, and I'm, I'm safe to do this. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's because I've worked, my husband and I have worked with a lot of individuals and youth who've experienced sexual violence and sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing that, the one thing that I would encourage anyone who is, who has experience or is working with somebody um, or walking alongside them is when you're violated, your choice is taken away. So how do we give the opportunity for as many choices as possible to empower the person before even being able to stand up and, and, you know, speak your truth or proclaim what has happened to you. It's how do we restore hope and trust? And a lot of that is restoring choice. So for us, and our kids, they're really little, and we just want to make sure that they know that their choice is a part of their power, and they're mm. empowered to have that. Yeah. So that's that. That's one of the main things that we're doing now. Well, and it's not like a to say someone was sexual, like victim of sexual violence, and their choice gets taken away. It's not just now we give them one choice, and now it's this even yeah. ball game. It's like in marital counseling. It's a lot of when trust is broken between two partners. It's going to take maybe 15 to 20 good trust building memories to build that back. And then when trust gets broken again, it, it erases. It doesn't erase, but it, it does damage of a lot more of the good. Yeah. And so and- in, the, in the same way, it's like it's not just like let's give them one choice now. Okay, now we're at an equilibrium again. It, it might take a lot of little yeah. things, a lot of more giving them choices back to actually help heal Yeah. Um, and give them power back. Yeah. And for children, it takes 492 times for someone to learn a lesson. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> it's not just one choice, right? I don't pity I don't... parents. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Colton, when you come parent, come back at me. But when when we are giving choice and teaching our children to choose, we're doing it consistently again and again. And it's the same thing with learning about emotional regulation, with learning about logical thinking, thought patterns, um, and being able to empower our, our children to really become the leaders of their generation. Like Yeah. I, I, our pastor has um, really empowered our church to think about children as, as the leaders of the generation that they're in and the generation mm. before and after them. So yeah. how are we parenting our children to become leaders? And some of the things that my husband and I do, it's based off of leadership development books. Yeah. How do we take yeah. like these concepts of leadership development, maybe in like a corporate setting or in a school setting, and how do we formulate it for a three-year-old mind to understand and process? And a lot of it is play. Yeah. Um, but we we still have to do it because my children, not only are they leading themselves, but when it comes to the topic of sexuality, it is a relational leadership. Hmm. So whoever 
my daughter is going to be when she's a teenager impacts those around her or yeah. same thing with my son. Yeah. So and I, I think that's good because we often think in order to parent healthy sexuality, we have to, you have to know the, exactly the right way to parent healthy sexuality. But it's really what you're saying. It's, it's more this holistic thing of like showing them, giving them emotional capacity, giving them value in their words, you know, showing them they have choice and power and developing their leadership. And when you're doing this holistically, when the sex stuff comes up, <laughs> when the conversations come up, they feel comfortable with you. They feel strong. They feel powerful. They they feel like they it's this more holistic thing. Um, which means it's harder oh, yeah. <laughs> to parent healthy sexuality because you have to do <sighs> all of parenting well, um, even though psychologists say you only have to do about 50%. Yeah. Well, well, well is relative, right? Yeah. What matters most is repair. I, yeah. I fail all the time, but being able to have moments of repair, that's where trust is built, where I can mm-hmm. say, hey, hey, my daughter, or hey, my son, or hey, teenager that I'm working with, I have failed in this capacity I'm asking you for forgiveness and I want us to move forward. So how yeah. can we do that together? Yeah. Um, and that is, that's not something that parents go to. That's, that's not our default. Yeah. And unfortunately it is the hardest task that we have to do. Cause we have to admit that we're wrong. Mm-hmm. And with parenting, I know people say they want kids because kids are cute and they love them, but people also want kids because they have issues with authority and they want to mm-hmm. maintain authority themselves. Mm-hmm. So subconsciously, subconsciously, <laughs> I mean, you can you can say it out loud and we'll yeah. find some therapy for you. That's great. Yeah, but you need to find therapy <laughs> that's subconscious as well. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, it's it's it is difficult because yeah. it is all encompassing. Yeah, well, that's something even as an adult, me and my like parents are working through where it's like. I don't blame you for things that went wrong in childhood or different things. What I'm asking now is us to repair Mm -hmm. and us to start something new. And what that requires is going to be us acknowledging the specifics. Mm -hmm. Like as a parent, I think a lot of parents will come back like, yeah, we made a lot of mistakes parenting you as a kid, but like, look at how great you turned out. Like, let's move forward. And it's like, okay, I appreciate that. That's step one. Step two is what were the specific mistakes? How do they still impact us today? And how do we repair those and move forward and continue to then process when, a year later, there's going to be more errors and more hurt and more pain. And how do we come back and repair that? How do I, as the child, come around and apologize and repair for the things I did mm-hmm. that brought them distress? Um, but I think it's often like you just look at the fruit of your kids oftentimes. It's like, oh, my kids turned out pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, and the fruit of your kids are so, I mean, they're just rooted in vanities, right? Yeah, so yeah. My kid is this great athlete. My kid's going to this college. My kid's doing this. My kid's doing that. It's like, why do you think he's a great academic mind? Well, it's, yeah. it might be in vanity or in an yeah. insecurity. Or maybe that's their coping mechanism to yeah. get away from you. Like, who knows? <laughs> they study to avoid pain. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, I, I've had this conversation again with my parents. And it, it's been cool to like, I'm not a parent, but getting to walk through with my parents and see like what I would do differently or how can we even just as adults work this out. And just looking at like some of my greatest quote unquote strengths that they would point to and like, look at how great you turned out. All of those, I would argue, were rooted in insecurities that I like compensated for. Yeah. Or like deficiencies that I overcame. I'm an eight on the Enneagram and it's because I felt disempowered as a kid. I'm always around eights. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's a rough <laughs> life. <laughs> uh, but I felt disempowered as a kid. So then I sought power through my personality. I it's because of a weakness, because of an insecurity that then my strengths developed. Yeah. And so it's like even in our strengths, a lot of times they're formed through vanity. It doesn't mean that they're bad now. But we have to then still get to the root to make sure the strength is rooted in something solid now mm-hmm. rather than rooted in something that's still a weakness from childhood. 
but moving moving from all of that because that's <clears throat> psychology and parenting. <laughs> We're actually just doing therapy for yeah. Colton right now. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I need this. Actually, I have therapy right after we record this, um, <laughs> so I'll go talk about it with Todd. Um, anyway, um, let's move maybe specifically to women um, mm-hmm. and to to young girls. Um, how are you thinking about right now and your journey and even in your work that you're doing? What do you think is helpful um, in parenting girls? What do girls need to hear, mm-hmm. um, especially in the culture we live in today? What are maybe the, the certain things that you're trying to fight against and the other things that you're trying to build up within them, according to sexuality? According to sexuality. <laughs> well, bear with me on this one. Okay, Because you can root it down to feudalism, right? Mm-hmm. The acquiring of land. Because in ancient days, your daughter wasn't a person. Your daughter was a commodity, mm-hmm. right? There's the dowry. There's mm-hmm. the exchange of goods and lands, like goats and sheep and cattle uh, are you, equivalent you to children. Right? And you see that it's just uh, the bigger pig wins, gets yeah, the girl. Exactly. Yeah. So, so then you have to carry Madame Zeroni up <laughs> to, to get it all to work out. Shout out to Shia LaBeouf. Uh, <laughs> but it, it – so – those, I mean, generations, thousands of years, women have been have been perceived and taken as commodity, and even to this day, it's still it's still present with us, right? The daddy's girl complex. It's mm-hmm. cute, it's endearing, mm-hmm. but once you become, once a daddy's girl only has her identity as a daddy's girl, mm-hmm. then you have a very strange complex that you are mm-hmm. working through. Um, so when it comes to having Working with the the understanding of developing healthy sexuality, the first thing that we have to think about is what generation are our kids in? Because yeah. our kids are, they are ours, but they're not our own. Like, mm-hmm. The Lord has our, ch- our children inevitably, but I only have as much influence. The generation that they're in is going to have significantly more influence than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, especially over the long run. Especially, especially that. And the unfortunate part is I come across too many people who are like, you know, well, this generation is fallen or ruined or they haven't dealt with anything bad. <laughs> Millennials <laughs> are lazy. <laughs> Millennials are lazy. Okay. It's like, well, you were our parents, so who created the laziness? Me or you? <laughs> right. Well, every generation is yeah. just – every generation is um, rebelling against what was before. Yeah. So, you know, I, I study generation. I look at it in regards to how do we help develop um, the socio-emotional understanding of teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um but also understanding what the generation is, what they are getting received in media, in advertisements, um, in their own culture, how yeah. society groups are being made, where trust is, um, and not blaming our our teens or our children or our girls for what they're receiving, but working with them to help mm-hmm. them understand the better way. Hmm. Um, I can't, like I said before, you know, authoritative parenting isn't going to work, mm-hmm. um, especially with girls. When you have authoritative parenting with girls, you are not giving them identity or voice. You're not giving them agency. And in fact, what you are what you are doing is perpetuating feudalism mm-hmm. <laughs> in, you know, the capitalist market. But no, you're mm-hmm. you're perpetuating perpetuating this idea that you are commodity, yeah. that you, my daughter, who you are is attached to my personhood and my insecurity or my security. Hmm. Um, Which is why I think I've talked about this in other podcasts, the daddy's girl moniker of like, I'm in charge of her virginity and protecting her purity. I think that's how you see that play out where it's it's about me as a parent more than it is about her. Yeah. And two millennial ago, right? Your daughter's not a virgin. You get no money. Yeah. Um, So it's it's rooted in history. Like this isn't a new, (laughs) the purity culture is not new. Yeah. There's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. But the, the truth of the matter is, 
when it comes to especially like not just the daddy girl complex, but fathers and daughters, if you want to meet an and insecure why isn't there daddy man, boys, you know, I wish I had an answer for that. <laughs> or like mama's girl, like there's mama's boys and daddy's girls, but I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, but I mean, when you think about looking at men, if you want to know an insecure man, watch how he parents his daughter. Hmm. Watch what he finds important in his daughter. Watch where he finds the value in his daughter. Um, I love urban ministry because people are really honest and they're upfront and it may come out as aggressive or assertive, but you know where they're coming from. And more than enough times I come across dads who their only objective is for their daughter to not get violated. That's mm-hmm. it. That's, yeah. that is how they are. They've successful. done their job then. Like, yeah. They were a successful parent. Right. Instead of, Oh, you're raising up a person. Yeah. And this, this human being with a soul and a heart and a mind and a value. Personality and a character and so many different things. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I mean, when it comes to fatherhood, you know, I'm not a dad, but I'm a married one. But <laughs> when it comes to fatherhood, there's so much insecurity around um, sustaining your identity of yourself through your daughter. And it's mm-hmm. completely unfair. Yeah. To and especially for girls, it's it's very focused to the sexuality, I feel like. Always. And it, I mean, and there's also intersexuality that you're working with. Right. Mm-hmm. So when it comes mm-hmm. to how society views um, different ethnicities and sexualities, there are things that we're working through and working against right so my you know my household is very multi-ethnic i'm filipino and black my husband is mexican so when my daughter was six months old there is somebody who i trust very much and go to church with and he is a part of my life but at at one point he just said oh people are gonna find her so beautiful and they're gonna call her exotic and i was like Hmm. no places are exotic foods can be exotic but not people right she is somebody who is again she's not a commodity yeah she's not a commodity she's her own person we're not i'm not buying and selling this daughter heaven forbid like you would even you would even assume that but he is two generations older than me he doesn't understand Mm -hmm. he doesn't know so it's walking alongside him and saying oh it's immediately assuming her most important like facet of her is how she looks which is quote unquote exotic not assuming like wow she's gonna have your sense of humor and she's gonna have his sense of passion and drive or something like that where it's like that's what's going to make her desirable in 20 years. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a problematic look. compliment, yeah, right? It's like, yeah. this is this is the thing. And he's trying to compliment you like, wow, you have such a beautiful yeah. daughter. And it's like, okay, yeah. thanks. You know, he said that three years ago and we're he's still in our life and we're yeah. still having this yeah. conversation. Um, but he has a better understanding now. And I think- You didn't cancel him? I didn't cancel him. <laughs> Jesus didn't cancel me. I can't cancel other people. But, right, it's, if I don't put in the effort to advocate for my daughter- who mm-hmm. was going to do that? Yeah. And where is she going to get that from? Right. Yeah. It's when I say that our children are products of their generation, schools have tablets, right? For students. Mm-hmm. All students get a tablet. So all students have access to the internet. And I don't mm-hmm. know what is going to be received or or given to her. So as long as I am here showing her, hey, this is how you advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. This is how we we process emotionally. This is how this is how we think logic. This is a thought map. This is what mm-hmm, thinking looks mm-hmm. like. Um, as long as I give my daughter those tools, then then I know that she is able to to make decisions on her own. And if she makes a mistake, she has to learn she's not a failure. So then it also comes with modeling grace and modeling yeah. grace with our children, especially our girls. It's not something that's seen. It's not something that's understood or heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and it... <laughs> Right. We're at this crux with the church where me too, like we're mm-hmm. in a me too culture. And it has been amazing because you're seeing all of these ways that 
toxic masculinity or toxic thought processes are hurting the church because mm-hmm. the church is the bride of Christ, right? Like mm-hmm. in the Bible, the Lord has given the church a female gender. Mm-hmm. That does not mean the church is a commodity. That means the church is something that yeah. is that is good and worthwhile. There's no words Well, and about... the scripture says, like, present her as holy and blameless. It's yeah. not like, hey, present her as this, you know physical virgin and you know beautiful appearance it's it's a it's a character thing yeah it's a maturity thing it's not having to do with what we normally think of like even if it is present her as a virgin it's not the physical it's this idea of this you know this sense of holiness within or character development mm-hmm. um and i think that's so hard because it, with most girls we're not viewing it as like how can i develop this character in her how can i develop this trait in her and I think it's really rooted in bad theology. I don't want to create, connect everything to bad theology. But, <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, we think about it. It's like my job as a parent is to make sure my girls and guys don't do the bad thing sexually. Yeah. And then wait to do the good thing sexually in marriage. When instead of, or like trying to then keep them from porn or keep them from, you know, Snapchat sexting or from TikTok girls and guys. <laughs> or I don't know what the I new thing is. I just found out about TikTok like I did. Like, I found out like three months ago. <laughs> um, and I'm only, I'm like, I'm 24 years old. How do I not know what this thing is? <laughs> um, it's basically just Vine, but with music and it's longer and it's more creative, I guess. Um, it's just Vine. Um, but anyway, what if instead of viewing it like to try to keep them from all these things and keep them from doing certain things and keep them from certain guys or girls, what if instead of what you're saying is like we're creating character, we're creating worth, we're creating identity, we're creating a thought map mm-hmm. so that when these things come, because these things are going to come, it's going to happen. They're going to be exposed to something. You can't always be there. Yeah. They're going to be exposed to porn. They're going to be exposed to a, a not good guy or a not good girl or someone trying to force them to send sexual things or bad things. Things You're trying to create wisdom and character so that when those things happen, because they will She'll either, one, know how to act in the moment, Mm -hmm. or two, if she makes a mistake, she feels comfortable enough to you because you've modeled grace that you'll be able to sit with her, process it through, and again, build the character and identity and worth. But we're so focused, I think, on, again, behavior modification rather than character development that if we can just get her to 20 or 25 and married... And, oh, thank God. <laughs> Heaven forbid it's 26 and married. That's yeah. just too old. Well, yeah, that's that's way too old. Because at that point, we know she's probably messed up. And yeah, so just, then I can't get my cows or my sheep. Right? <laughs> I can't get my pig from Adam Zeroni. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think that's, again, we developed character in guys, I think, generally as a, as a Christian church. That's, I think, an emphasis because we view males as leaders, mm-hmm. um, which I have a whole spiel about that. But I think that's, a, it's again, it's rooted in, poor theology of like the the girl is beauty charm yeah and maybe nurture and some of the more positive ones but if we think about like let's look at the whole in this story exactly line, right yeah we view men as leaders and then we view women as as not just commodity but the ones who are supposed to stay at home and raise the kids mm-hmm. well she's leading the generation exactly you're just talking yeah right? <laughs> so it, well it, women i think I mean, people, this might be debatable, but I think women have influenced the next generations way more than men have in the last hundred years. Uh, maybe not in recent years because women have gone to the workplace a little bit more, but because they're the ones that are instilling character, values, identity, and all these things in their children. Yeah. Well, women influence every generation. Exactly. That's just how it goes. Yeah. But the, it just, so value is not something that is easily traded, mm-hmm. right? Because the value as, as of even now will usually go to the male Mm -hmm. um so when it comes to raising our women and viewing our daughters our baby girls as as women as their own person and their own Mm -hmm. being 
that means that we are circuit we're not even circumnavigating we're going against what society says value is what culture says value is mm-hmm. and you have to be comfortable being countercultural and raising your your daughters and your children because mm-hmm. really like our girls are leaders that's <laughs> that's just how it goes mm-hmm. um and when it comes to leading in sexuality and and just relationship i could die saying i i could die happily knowing that my daughter knows her personhood and knows that her worth is not found in, in a false, like the misconception of purity, right? Mm-hmm. I can I could die happily knowing that she could say, you know, the mythical hymen is actually just a lie, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and that would be great because she knows who she is mm-hmm. and she knows that her worth is not found in things that are, that are, are a part of this like capitalistic commodity culture. Yeah. Um, her worth is found in something much deeper and that is herself. And she's been able to develop those skills. Yeah. Um, and when, it, whenever I think about parents who parent their daughters, um, it's hard. It's really hard because it's it is so difficult to go against the mainstream thought process. Yeah. So that in of itself is like, yeah, you get a trophy for like this one hour that you have mm-hmm. had this time to mm-hmm. to think against what society says. But yeah, don't sit on that. Like this is a continuous work for you because it's not just your daughter. Now it's your daughter and like your bloodline and your heritage Mm -hmm. and everyone that your child impacts moving forward. So it's, it's hard work, but it's work. Like you don't, Mm -hmm. Sometimes I want to say, like, I really feel sorry for you, parents. You were just like, we just wanted a baby. Like, great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got a baby and a, and a whole calling mm-hmm. <laughs> that you got to work through. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mythical hymen. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. The mythical hymen, guys. It's. Uh, huh. If you don't know what that is, I'm, I'm sure you know what the word mythical means. But if you don't know what hymen means, just Google it. Maybe don't Google image it. But you could <laughs> Google it. I actually got an, a detention in high school for that word because oh. um, I was in anatomy class. And I, again me being stupid i just use big words and your brain I, was making connections you weren't yeah. being, you you were i so anyway i yeah. what i was doing is there was this word on the board that was like high man and mm-hmm. i was like but it spelled all weird it wasn't hymen like that's fine but it's but i was trying to like pronounce it yeah because <laughs> i was just being stupid in class and the teacher thought i was trying to make a joke about hymen and so she sent me to detention <laughs> then she put me in the corner of the class like the back corner and i was the only one that didn't have a partner and i was by myself for the rest of the semester oh, um, there is some shame attached to that word for you yeah so uh, mythical hymen to me man i feel the shame <laughs> I feel shame, <laughs> even though i was just an innocent yeah. little, little high schooler it is it's a real i mean it's a real trauma for women oh yeah it, oh it's yeah it's so hard i um it's just sad. Like I once had a, a teacher in college who grew up in West Africa. So, mm-hmm. um, what country specifically? I can't remember. Um, Ghana, Ivory Coast, Senegal. Ivory Coast. I think it was Ghana. Gambia. <laughs> Believe it was Ghana. So she grew up in Ghana in her childhood and then moved to Germany. Um, but her genitalia was cut off. And mm. we had a very real, honest conversation about yeah. that. And, you know, she had children. She is able to, and she's able to have sex. She's able to to procreate. Um, but a part of her was lost. Yeah. And that that is that is a trauma that she would never want her daughter to have. Yeah. And which is why she and her family like fled to Germany. Um, yeah. But that was. You know, that is a really extreme case, but sometimes when I look at how we are parenting our daughters and and how 
we as parents can become so desperate and so fearful yeah. of what what could become because of what culture says. Yeah. Then who says that we're not doing that metaphorically? Who says mm-hmm. that we're not denying them a part of themselves that God called good and named good? We just don't know how to give them the tools and the skills yeah. to show our daughters why it is good. Yeah. Um, and how to use that good for his greater good. I'm using yeah. the word good a lot. But yeah. That's good. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> but it's it's the truth of that is when it with our daughters, with our our women and our girls, we can't we can't just stop the conversation and cut it off because even if a parent says I can't have this conversation, one dad that my one thing my dad has taught me is that no matter where I go, I look like I'm a black girl or I look like I'm Pacific Islander, depending on who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. So people are going to look at me with that lens and with those stereotypes, mm-hmm. and they're going to treat me with that lens and with those mm-hmm. stereotypes. So even if I never have the conversation with my father about what sexuality looks like or what, mm-hmm. what, with my mother. If that never happened, someone would have to find me through their own stereotypical lens of what my ethnic heritage looks like. Mm. And that is a really hard thing yeah. for girls to navigate. Um, I feel like my friends who are Caucasian, I, I, a part of me just feels really sorry for them because I'm like, dude, you are put on this like pedestal of this delicate fragile being because historically white women are are perceived as delicate mm-hmm, and fragile mm-hmm. versus myself as a woman of color i'm always seen as over sexualized i'm mm-hmm. i'm i'm seen as a being that should be in touch with her her mm-hmm. sensuality mm-hmm. um and it is not easy but it's something that i can navigate through and find health and be able to empower myself in christ in my mm-hmm. own sexuality versus my friends who are caucasian who are navigating through that it's hard for them. And mm-hmm. I a part of me is like, I really feel for you because yeah. as you're trying to navigate through that, you have people who are who are like clutching their pearls and gasping <laughs> and they're so worried. Mm-hmm. Um because heaven forbid you are not this like dainty daisy stereotype that that they want you to have. Yeah. Um so it's hard. Yeah. And I think so much of that gets reinforced through media. Yeah. Um and I don't think I wanna hold have a whole podcast on like how our movies and our TV shows reinforce sexual stereotypes and different things, but that's for a different podcast. <laughs> but I, I mean, it's, it's, it's there. It, we see it in, in film and it, it reinforces subconsciously. Um, always representation always, always matters. Yeah. Anyway. So we don't need to get <laughs> Cause it's another tangent as well, <laughs> especially with all the Disney princesses yeah. and stuff. Um, but maybe a question before we kind of dive into our last two is maybe if someone's listening to this and they don't know, like at what point maybe should I start having some of these conversations more sexually explicit, quote unquote, with my young daughters or with my girls in my youth group. What in your experience has been like that kind of age range for you where it moves from? It's always holistic, um, always holistic leading. But when you start introducing a little bit more, maybe the specific kind of conversations. The hard part is that we live in California. Yeah. And in California, we have in public schools, the new sex ed exactly. curriculum. Yeah. So it hap- it has to happen earlier. Yeah. Um, I I see parents who are actively trying to protest and and take down um, the curriculum that's already set in place and it's already in motion and happening. But really, what you have to say is this might be this this might be the tool. This might be un- the unfortunate blessing that we have to have the conversation sooner and be able to equip ourselves to mm-hmm. at least be one of the louder voices in what our daughters are hearing. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if it happens as early as kindergarten or first grade. Yeah. But 
as parents, the needle's been pushed forward for us. If we don't have the conversation sooner than the curriculum, then you're doing the work of catching up. Yeah. And the hard part with children is once your child is in school, a parent's authority has lessened because the teacher becomes the authoritative voice. And mm-hmm. children mm-hmm. will tell their parents, well, my teacher said this. Yeah. Right. Or my teacher and said that. And they have that. a degree or and something. They, they yeah. And they have a degree. More. And heaven forbid, like, I don't know if my mom has a degree. Like, <laughs> yeah. My mom doesn't. So. <laughs> yeah. so, so I wish I had the prescriptive answer. But right now, as Californians, we have to realize that we're needing to have the conversation sooner and we're needing to build the trust with our children and have the secure attachment significantly sooner. Yeah. Um, and for, I, I talk a little bit about intersectionality and race and gender, um, but when it comes back to, especially as us women of color who are raising our kids, um, we need to be aware as parents that we're protecting our children's personhood. Hmm. So when stereotypes come amongst us, um, we have to show our, our daughters how to advocate for themselves very early on, right? Yeah. One day, my three-year-old <laughs> told someone, don't touch me. I am not a pet. And I was like, you go, girl. Like, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I, was, I was perfectly okay with that. Yeah. But she was able, like, that is just an ex- example of letting your daughters find their voice hmm. um, and letting them find their voice early and stand up for their voice. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean that they're always going to be receiving comfort or or it's going to be easy for them. But walk alongside your children or let them know that you're there to walk yeah. alongside them um, in this. Because our sexuality, unfortunately, is so tied to culture. So being able to advocate for our personhood has to start at birth. Like it has to start with us as parents being able to say, no, I don't like this. This is not how we're going to do it. Yeah. And and. And putting our foot down, being able to say, I will not allow that comment um, yeah. in my family. This is yeah. not something that that I accept. Um, and knowing that no is a full sentence. Like, I <laughs> tell it to mm-hmm. my daughter all the time. You can say no. If you say no, then we have to respect your no. It's a full sentence. Um, there are other times that I'm like, that's an illogical no. That will not work <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah. But showing our, our daughters what how important their personhood right there i once heard that the soul is comprised of your mind your emotions and your will right your soul is not your body your body is so essentially important and they're they're intertwined and connected but being able to value and hold importance in who you are um that is something and that it is something worth advocating for we need to start that at birth yeah. Because once that happens, then we can go into conversations on sexuality mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, what I can tell parents as a youth leader, I knew. I knew parents who had stronger family bonds um, and healthier family systems when a parent would be able to call me and say, hey, Camille, I'm struggling with this mm-hmm. um, with my parent, with my daughter. Can mm-hmm. you help me out? Yeah. Um, and that's not a parent being nosy or controlling. That's a parent mm-hmm. saying. I don't have the tools and you gave me, God gave me a team and you're a part of my team, yeah. my team for my teenager. How do we do yeah. this together? Yeah. But yeah, I think that takes some of the burden off of it where have other parental figures be able to be in your kids' lives or even just in your life helping you parent. I think we have isolated parenting to just the mom and dad where that's so much pressure mm-hmm. um, for you two alone to try to 
build a holistic kind of thing in your child. You need a village in yeah. a lot of ways. And as millennials, we millennial parents. <laughs> I don't know how this happened. Part of me is like, is it the recession? But something in us says that we have to be the only people for our children, that yeah. there can be no one else. And I I have a mentor who's a few generations older than me, and she always says, like, the problem with millennials is that you think that your kids have to be around you 24-7, and you're you're running yourself haggard. Yeah. Well, it's because <laughs> our parents were never around. Yeah, right. <laughs> so <laughs> Maybe it's not the recession. It's, it's the pendulum swing. Okay. Our, our dads oh. work too many hours. Our moms, then the recession hit, and they work too many hours. Yeah. And so We're always rebelling, right? We're always rebelling yeah. against what Just the pendulum before. swinging back and forth constantly. So, like, our generation's super liberal. Maybe the next one will be super conservative. I don't know. Anyway, um, in all of this, maybe what, if you could speak to the church for a little bit, what is your hope for the church and walking alongside, like, parents in terms of like parenting, healthy sexuality, maybe specifically within girls and with women, um, how can the church kind of come alongside parents in this process? There, there needs to be some language that needs to stop. So first and foremost, we need to stop treating spiritual warfare as like a movie plot line hmm. when it comes to our teenagers. I think more often than not, churches try to console parents by using condemnation as a tool and there's no condemnation in Christ. So an example is a parent who will say, you know, my, my teenagers have a spirit of rebellion. No, they're teenagers and you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay to admit that. Yeah. Um, we can't, you know, or I've come across parents who would tell their children, like you, ha- there's a demon inside of you. It's like, well, no, your child accepted Christ. Yeah. I, I, I refuse to believe that that is, that is your justification for, you not being able to say, I need help. Well, and if you um, demonize things, I think, too harshly, like if you have sex before you're married, you'll get a demon and die. <laughs> like as soon as they have sex and it feels awesome or it was with a boyfriend or something, they feel more connected yeah. and they don't die and they didn't get a demon. Now they don't trust you and yeah. they don't believe you. And now they actually think that this is maybe the best thing for me. And what else have they lied to me about? And so now I'm just going to go every into everything they ever told me not to do. So it's almost it's going to work against you eventually if you over demonize, over spiritualize certain things, because um, as soon as they experience it, <laughs> it's maybe yeah. not as severe or what you said. It might make them swing a little bit further into it. Yeah. And God cares about our personhood. God doesn't care about our purity. I mean, he wants us to be holy and blameless. But yeah. purity in this day and age means that you've never had sex. Mm-hmm. And that is not. <laughs> it's not something that God says. Yeah. <laughs> at least well, I don't think holistic. so. Yeah, it's not holistic. As a church, we need to be able to look at look at parents as people who are holistically developing the next leaders. Um, we're holistically developing our business leaders, our ministers, our uh, missionaries, our teachers, our everything. Mm-hmm. So if we if we can't look at parents and children as individuals on their journey for redemption, then I don't know how effective we can be as a church. So it's all about changing perspective and being able to come alongside and using tools that are spiritual and practical Hmm. and not abusing those tools. Yeah, that's good. If you could craft uh, a one, I don't, I'm not going to say one paragraph, just a, <laughs> a little, a little like a little vision 
for what your hope would be for like parents moving forward after they listen to this podcast, what would be like your kind of slogan, your, your mantra, your, <laughs> your mantra. couple paragraph, what, what would you be saying to parents right now about in terms of parenting, um, healthy sexuality, um, kind of how could you sum this all up for them in a way um, that they could take from this? You don't just parent your children. You parent your children and everyone around you. And you want to be the parent that your kids and their friends can go to. Um, that doesn't mean like, and I'm, I'm not saying be Amy Poehler and Mean Girls, right? <laughs> I'm trying to be like, I'm the cool mom. <laughs> but Amongst other things that amongst, Amy Poehler has. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, one thing that I've learned is when I sit in church or I sit in community events, I look for, I look for family systems. Um, and I'm not just looking for, parent and child I'm looking for parent child and friends of children because that's a family system that I I want to better understand not in terms of analyzing it if it's healthy or unhealthy because I can't determine that from a look Mm -hmm. but I want to pursue and and search for that to understand what the parent is doing to instill trust and communication um so I guess my mantra would be able (laughs) I'm like actively making it right now. <laughs> but my mantra is is surrounded around how do we develop trust and communication and affirm per- personhood? Hmm. Um, right. And and that takes so much work. Mm-hmm. And that's what people don't understand. Like that work is anti-racist work. That work mm-hmm. is like socio-emotional learning. That work is disestablishing what the economy says about who we are and where we are. It it is going against culture. It is pursuing Christ fully. It's hard work. Parenting, mm-hmm. like parenting is not easy. And anyone who says that it is like, please talk to me. <laughs> I would love to know what kind of drug you're giving your kids to make it easier for <laughs> or you. What kind of drug you're taking. Yeah, what kind of drug <laughs> you're taking. That. Uppers, downers, like what's going on. But It's probably marijuana. It's California. Yeah, so. it's California, right? Yeah. But being able to recognize this is hard work. But this is the work of generations. So we need to trust. We need to build relationships. We need to repair. Um, we, need to, we need to rely fully on Christ and fully on um, Christ-centered wisdom um, and being able to vet and say yes and no to things that other people say. Um, we need communities. We need a team. There are mm-hmm. so many things that we as parents need. Um but most importantly, we need grace. Yeah. We need grace in all of this because our we have to know that our kids are going to fail and that has nothing to do with who we are or who they are. It just means that they've made a mistake and what they want is to reconnect with you to know that they are good and that they are loved and they are safe and they are secure in your love. And with parents, we so easily take that away. So. Hmm. That's good. I think a lot of people are going to listen to this and be really benefited by just again viewing things holistically um viewing things not as just i need to figure out the right sexual ethic although that's important but it's a it's a bigger process of building trust communication affirming personhood all these different things which sound like a lot Um, oh yeah it's not just one thing but if if you're a parent this is the calling you've been given when you decided or just happen to have a child like this is something that's handed to you um so you can't take it lightly but you also don't have to do it alone yeah um so you can take encouragement But thanks again, Camille. Glad to have you. Thanks.
And as always, if you have enjoyed what you have heard today or enjoyed what this podcast is doing and what is it about, it would help us out greatly if you could leave us a review and if you could subscribe to the podcast. This helps us reach other people and this helps us fulfill what this podcast is ultimately trying to do, which is bring hope to those who are trapped, those who are struggling, and those who are wondering what to do with sexuality. We hope that Camille's words today encouraged you in your sexuality, reframed how you view parenting and holistic parenting, and ultimately made you feel hope for parenting your kids. And as always, may the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.